Welcome to Ag Future, presented by Alltech. Join us as we explore the challenges and opportunities facing the global food supply chain and speak with experts working to support a planet of plenty. I'm Tom Martin with the latest in our Agri-Food Outlook series, a visit with food, agriculture, and consumer insight strategist, Marianne Smith-Edge. Marianne is a sixth-generation farm owner in Owensboro, Kentucky. She also is a registered dietitian and founder of the Agri-Nutrition Edge, a food and agriculture communications consulting firm. Marianne advances science and nutrition thought leadership on her firm's website, agrinutritionedge.com, and she joins us from Owensboro. Greetings, Marianne. Well, greetings and good morning to you. Oh, Marianne, first, if you would, just tell us about your work as both farmer and one who advises the ag community on matters of communication. Well, I grew up on a dairy farm in northern Kentucky, so definitely have strong roots. Uh, in the dairy industry, and uh, at this point, I don't do day-to-day work in farming, but in in the Owensboro area, my husband and I do own farmland where soybean and uh, corn are grown, so have a definitely a vested interest and very involved in the agricultural area. I think with that background, along with my professionally trained as a registered dietitian and having worked in consumer insights over the years, it really does allow me to interact across the food value chain on communications. And and especially in the ag community, it's so important to really remind and, and work with the ag community on understanding the need to communicate what is being done and has been done over the years on moving forward and preserving land and sustainability. You know, to too many of non-farm individuals, the perception of sustainability uh, is almost viewed as a as a new concept. And even though we look at it uh, in different lenses today, we know that ultimately we are where we are today because farming has always looked at the preservation of farmland for future generations. Well, Marianne, this pandemic, it seems like we can't talk about anything without talking about the pandemic. And of course, it's been with us long enough now for us as consumers to settle into some health and food consumption trends and habits. And I wonder what your perspective is on trends that have emerged from the conditions of the pandemic in 2020. Well, definitely the emergence of returning to one's own kitchen um, out of necessity, of course, uh, has emerged. We saw by the end of last year that over 80% of individuals said that they were cooking at home. Uh, but the good news is that we, we see that individuals say, even though there's some cooking fatigue, is that they are continuing. And even though we were hearing about the COVID-15, somewhat like the college freshman 15 game, is that over a third of consumers basically said that they were cooking more healthfully. Uh, from that, we saw that online shopping of course, someone out of due to necessity jumped at an all-time rate at a much higher rate than any retail had ever anticipated. And as well as when looking at trends from food, we see that individuals are definitely wanting to connect to more local sources. And um, many times, especially in produce, we saw a considerable jump in looking at organics. 
Has this opened up opportunities or, or expanded the market for small farms, uh, particularly those that are involved in CSAs and community-supported agriculture and, you know, the weekly order of, of greens and so forth that we're able to get? Have, have you seen any um, increase in, in, in that area? Yes, we definitely have seen an increase in this particular area. And I can use a friend and a farm-to-consumer meat processing uh, business in this area is an excellent example and have written about it in some of my blogs is that even though he had gained a good audience and through farmers markets over the last few years, suddenly that neat increase for uh, wanting local produced and processed meat grew rapidly, especially in that April and May when meat alter- or meat consumption seemed to increase and availability wasn't as prevalent. And the good news is that trend has continued. So again, folks really want to be able to connect to food and know where food comes from. And I think there's also that sense of security and overall safety appeal that if they know where their food comes from, there's an assurance that one, it will always be there and that it's safe. And I you know, trust the person who is producing it. Any other particular current active trends that are influencing food production? Well, the trend of sustainability will continue to increase. And sustainability, of course, can mean so many different things to to individuals. But connecting that planet and personal health has continued to evolve, and, and it should. So I think many times individuals are also seeing that if I eat locally, if I support my local producers, then I'm I'm eating more sustainably. So in that case, uh, looking as we move forward on a global standpoint, sustainability and looking at food systems, even though it was an active trend, this whole global pandemic has really promoted more conversation. In fact, in September, there will be a, a UN Food Systems Summit in New York where really we're looking at the whole concept of of trends and and regionalization as well as global food systems. And so that will definitely continue the conversation. Have transparency and the trust that it can engender, have, have those things taken on more importance among consumers these days? They have. And I think we have to recognize, and especially the agricultural community, is is the importance of trust and transparency. The good news is that consumers do trust farmers, but sometimes at the same time, there is a disconnect of communication and, and transparency. We always have to realize that less than 2% of the population really has a direct connection to agriculture in these days. And so therefore, it becomes imperative that the agriculture community really communicates what's being done. You know, why are we doing what we are doing, whether it's using or not using antibiotics or how plants and animals are grown or whether or not we're using gene editing or or genetically modified individuals, explaining what it means to the farmer, but also to the consumer is is really important. And so, and we know with the fact that if we're not transparent, 
ultimately we will be transparent because of the uh, amount of information that's available on all levels. And so it's really important that you, those who know, actually provide the information and not open the area for those who don't know to talk about it. Well, perception can be everything in a lot of situations. And I noticed on your blog that you write about trust, and specifically you cite a national poll conducted by the Johns Hopkins Center for a Livable Future that finds that most people just don't like industrial agriculture. But if, as you just mentioned, if just farmers are listed, the trust goes up. What are the dynamics behind these distinctions? Well, I do think in, in many cases, and, and some of it uh, is, is perceptions and, and what, you, what you hear as well as in surveys, is that in some individuals' minds, people imagine that farmers should be small, always small, and get that illusion of kind of the ma and pa type of farmer. And so, unfortunately, sometimes the label of, of, an, of industrial farm or factory farms are given to really large um, agricultural production, which is still family owned. And so it is a, it, it is a misconception and uh, easily used by individuals who want to kind of frame um, that conversation that big is, is not always good. And it seems like big food, big ag uh, gets a negative connotation, uh, but at the same time, uh, as consumers, we readily accept uh, big technology and big food distribution systems. So it, it is it is a challenge. I think we constantly have to uh, be able to distill the distinctions and really talk about the percentage of farms that are owned and that farms, regardless of their size, you know they have to be uh, they have to be profitable if they're going to be sustainable. And you know, larger the larger the farm sometimes can actually be much more innovative in technology as well as, as sustainable practices. So this is an area that we all need to continue to work on to break down some of those perceptions. Well, continuing that perception thought, uh, I wonder if it's generally understood that to be a successful farmer, you have to be, in essence, a scientist. I mean, it, it can amaze the non-farmer to hear or read about what actually goes into the work of producing our sources of food. Do, do you think this brain power aspect could use a boost in the public dialogue? I do. I think for some, the mental picture of farming is many times, and I, like anybody, love farmer's markets, but you know, at the farmer markets, you get that close connection of food and individuals. And you sometimes, and you don't under, always understand what goes into it, how much prep time and science has gone into it. I would say today, you know, and uh, can't quote the exact numbers, but most in farming today definitely have a college education or been involved in, in constant training. You know, my father was a, a dairy farmer for over 51 years, and even though he was a World War II vet who did not go to college. You know, farming still, it was about is understanding the science. And so I do think we forget that it's very scientific. And if we really realize the technology and the science that has gone into farming over the last uh, 50 and 60 years, where we are able to only use the amount of 
if needed, pesticides or chemicals or et cetera, based on a particular small area of land that we can really have an integrated pest management. We're so much better at being able to control these inputs than, you know, than when I was growing up and and the amount of technology computerization that goes into farming. To the average individual, uh, I don't think they do understand that the, um, how much science goes into it. And especially as We continue to look at sustainability practices of reducing from animal production, of reducing greenhouse gas inputs. Um, You know, we're moving forward looking at carbon farming, all all the different technologies. It really does. It is about science and and knowing technology. It's a highly sophisticated profession that sometimes individuals don't regard it as such. You've mentioned sustainability a couple of times, and uh, it's we hear so much about it now, even more so as the new Biden administration in Washington is rolling out its agenda. Where do you think agriculture will fit into that picture? I think agriculture is really the foundation of this picture. But the important thing, it's going to be so important for agriculture to be at the table. I have been involved in some webinars listing as a participant or a discussant over the last couple of months and globally as well as as in the U.S. And sometimes during that conversation, people will say, well, yes, we, we need to be have farmers involved. And I am thinking, well, why aren't they at the table? So I think it's going to be really important that you know, the basis of the whole concept of of climate change and sustainability is that agriculture needs to make sure that we we are inserted into the conversation early on. But it's also important that we don't keep just talking to ourselves. You know, we need to make sure that there's an integration of conversations across the board. So those who might be making policy truly understand the unintended consequences or also understand the positive solutions either way. And so agriculture to me is is at the core of where we're going. It's just that we really need to be in the middle of the conversation now, not when the decisions are made. Well, I know that you're involved in another conversation. You were named to the board of directors of the Foundation for Healthy Kentucky a couple of years ago. And I know that your background includes owning a strategic nutrition consulting firm for the food and healthcare industries. Why is it important that that insight and perspective about farming and food production have a seat at that particular table? Well, it's uh, earlier this week, we actually um, had a discussion of really bringing a group of, of partners across healthcare and the workforce to really look at how we can start drilling in on particular focus areas within Kentucky to really start turning around, making Kentucky um, a healthier uh, population. The reality, we are at the bottom, not at the total bottom, but definitely at the, at the uh, a lower percentage of, of being helpful. During COVID, it, it really it has exposed an issue we already knew is that um, the issues of health equity and inequity and how COVID has has affected those with 
with a higher percentage of comorbidities such as diabetes, heart disease, and et cetera. So with my background, um, I do lead the strategic planning and evaluation committee. And so, you know, we have to think broad base. What are the what are the factors that are really has created this? You know, and at the core, it really is food as well as as access to um, health care. So I feel like that my varied background as well as my work in, in strategic planning over the years can really uh, work side by side with all the other colleagues in, in health and, and workforce to be very focused on the fact that there's never been a, a better time and it's really important that we move forward in really identifying what's at the core and how we can reverse our health status in Kentucky. Uh, Marianne, an article on your blog is titled Antibiotics, Cure or Curse, and you cite concerns about antibiotic overuse, resistance, and how the two may be intertwined, and how for some, the blame is on animal agriculture, while for others, it's on human medicine. Do you anticipate movement toward more antibiotic-free and organic production in 2021? Yes, um, even though I, I do think we will we'll see more of it. What's interesting in, in a recent survey that was just recently released by the Infor- uh, International Food Information Council Foundation in Washington, D.C., which um, I have previously uh, worked, uh, what was interesting is they were really looking at influences on animal protein and plant protein decision making. And about um, 25% of individuals said that if a product was labeled uh, no antibiotics, uh, that uh, really influenced their decision, um, more so than organic. And uh, so um, we see that that's typically with those that might be under the age of 45 and a higher income. But again, uh, individuals are connecting that as, as a safety issue. And um, with COVID, there's also been con- concern is that, okay, uh, what's in my food or what's being given to animal protein that, you know, is there any, even though that we know that's not really been, that's not necessarily true, but there is some thought within the public of, is there a connection of how my uh, food is raised, especially animal protein as related to disease states or future disease states. So I do think we will continue to see um, consumer influence on looking for products that have no, uh, no antibiotics. I think there's a lot of discussion out there whether does that is it as good for human health as there is for animal welfare but antibiotic stewardship is is so important across the human and animal continuum um I served on the One Health board a few years ago when I was worked with the International Food Information and so this is one area that really has a human and animal health connection that needs to continue to be looked at over the way. And with organic, even though it's still a small piece uh, of the total purchases, uh, what was interesting is last year, uh, to your point with COVID, we um, we saw a much more significant increase of individuals especially, uh, buying especially organic uh, produce. Hmm. Well, what is on your short list, your very short list of things you hope to see happen in agriculture and food production this year in 2021? 
oh, my short list, um, Sov World Peace. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think in the short list, uh, I keep bringing back to it, but in, in the short list is really bringing this whole discussion around sustainable food systems. What does that look like? And that's a really large topic. But I think in 2021 is that on my short list is what have we learned about the food value chain, the whole distribution system during 2020? How can we use these learnings to really start uh, looking at what needs to change? You know, what have we learned and how can we use those learnings to really improve not only um, the safety, the distribution system, but also improve trust and transparency and and take that and and learn what we can do better. So really, uh, even though very large, short list, I think taking those where this should give us an opportunity to really put the consumer and the farmer along the whole other food value chain individuals together to really realize that if we are going to be able to continue with having the availability of food that we have been so fortunate that we all need to come together, uh, create uh, transparency and trust among each of us. That's food, agriculture, and consumer insight strategist Marianne Smith-Edge talking with us from Owensboro, Kentucky. Thanks, Marianne. Thank you. Coming up next in our Agri-Food Outlook series, Manette Batters, president of the National Farmers Union of England and Wales, and we'll get her views on building a more sustainable agri-food industry, working with governments on ag and trade policies, and what she expects from the industry after a tumultuous year. I'm Tom Martin. Thanks for listening. Join us for the rest of this series as we reflect on how the agriculture industry adapted in 2020 and speak with experts on what's in store for agri-food in 2021. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to Ag Future wherever you listen to podcasts.